let's jump into the topic for today, uh, and I'm actually going to be in a couple different chapters, so uh, I, let me invite you to turn to the book of Malachi, which is the last chapter, or the last two chapters of the Old Testament, uh, Malachi chapter 3 and 4, and then you can also go ahead and get a, get a thumb over in uh, Luke chapter 1, um, because we're going to be looking at some prophecy today. This is what we're doing in this series that we're calling The King is Coming is we have looked at a handful of prophecies that have prophesied not just the future, but very specifically the future about the coming of Jesus. And uh, there's a lot of prophecy in the Bible. In fact, that's one of the things that makes the Bible uh, a, a, a very different book than anything else in existence, is the Bible is the only book that contains prophecy, and it contains a lot of prophecy. Uh, at the time the Old Testament was written, um, 25% of it was prophetic in nature. 25% uh, of the Old Testament at the time that it was written was a future prediction of things that would come to pass or happen. Since then, many of them have happened, and some of them are still going to happen. So there's a lot of prophecies, and we've looked at a handful uh, these last couple weeks as it relates to preparing us for Jesus. But today is going to be w probably one of the most controversial topics that I've ever talked about. Uh, and we, ha we don't shy away at Redeemer from controversial things. Because if the Bible says it, we believe it and we want to preach it. But we're going to jump into just like when is it appropriate to prepare for Christmas. Okay? Are you all ready for this? This is so controversial. It's like so crazy the things that pop up on people's radar that just they're willing to die over. Uh, when we moved to Midland, there were a lot of things I didn't know about Midland. And uh, I remember one time... Um, I don't even remember the details about it, but I was talking about, and I was trying to sound it out in the middle of a sermon. Uh, I was trying to sound out Sharbauer draw. And I remember like, just like I had lit dynamite and thrown it in the church, almost caused a church split just because I didn't know how to pronounce Scarber. I learned my lesson. Here we are. That was one of the first controversial moments. This controversial moment is talking about when is it okay to prepare for Christmas? Some people think that like Halloween, how many of you, like when it's Halloween, you're preparing for Christmas? Anybody? Got a handful of you? You're excited? How many of you like Thanksgiving Day? That's the point when after Thanksgiving you, you begin decorating, you put your lights up. How many of you, Christmas Eve, you're like, oh my gosh, it's here again. I didn't know it would come so soon, and yet here we are. Uh, some of you are like, no, 4th of July. After the 4th of July, we're going to put up the Christmas decorations. Uh, I want to show you j just like how, and this is going to put this to bed, like this is going to answer this question once and for all, because you can back all the way up from Genesis chapter 3, like the first page of the Old Testament all the way through to the last verse of the Old Testament, the whole thing is God preparing for Christmas, okay? So here's the answer. A couple thousand years. You can, you can prepare for Christmas uh, for a few thousand years or right up until the day before. Uh, the king is coming. I know that's a little cheesy, but here we go. Uh, Malachi chapter 3 and chapter 4, uh, truly uh, from Genesis chapter 3, 
God has been preparing for Christmas, for Advent, for the coming of Jesus Christ into the world. Uh, we've talked about this so much over the last couple of weeks, but uh, if you remember uh, when, when God created things in Genesis and, and the des- description of that was perfect shalom, perfect peace in every way, and then man and woman decided to rebel against God's design and God's authority, and sin comes in and breaks and fractures and ruins absolutely everything. Everything is affected and infected by sin. And then Genesis 3, you have God beginning his preparations for Christmas. He says that the woman uh, shall bear, uh, shall have her, her seed shall come and, uh, and the serpent will uh, bruise his heel, but he will crush the serpent's head. That, that's such a unique uh, prophecy of Christ uh, because in a patriarchal society like most of the Old Testament, all the Old Testament was written in, uh, generations and, and, and offspring are always related back to the, to the man. Uh, but this very unique prophecy relates it back to the woman because Jesus was going to come uh, by a virgin birth into the world. And so even back in Genesis 3, God is preparing for the moment when Jesus would come, when he would be born, when Christmas uh, would happen. Uh, and then uh, the, the Old Testament marches on and you've got Psalms that were written a thousand years before Christ was born that would be preparing God's people for what it means that God is coming into the world. We looked a couple weeks ago at the, the prophet Isaiah, uh, 700 years before Christmas, where God is preparing us for uh, the, the, the Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh. Uh, Pastor Jonathan last week looked at Micah, uh, even these promises of where this would take place and that Bethlehem would be the town where the Messiah would come and where Christmas would happen. And truly, the Old Testament is God preparing the, the world and God preparing his people for Christmas or for the coming Messiah, for Jesus coming into the world. Uh, and before we drop into Malachi 3, uh, I want to give you a little bit of a backdrop. Uh, you can go back and read the whole uh, book this week if you want. It's only four short chapters. That's a really interesting read because uh, this is how the Old Testament closes out. Okay, This is the last time that God speaks through a prophet uh, before Christmas. This is 400 years is when Malachi prophesies, about 400 years B.C., 400 years before Christ. And there was a lot of dysfunction going on with God's people, a lot of sin, a lot of rebellion. And so God speaks through Malachi, basically calling God's people to repentance. Uh, one commentator describes and sums up the entire book of Malachi this way. He says that it is, it is the call of God uh, for God's people to repent because of a few things. He says, one, the priesthood had become corrupt. Uh, what, what should have been the religious leaders of the day had become corrupted and were not uh, doing what they should do, were not inviting people uh, to be in awe and worship God. He says the priesthood had become corrupt, worship had become routine, divorce had become widespread, justice had been largely ignored, tithing had been neglected, and all of this was God's people had turned their back on God and his commands, and so God speaks through the prophet Malachi, inviting them to turn or to repent. That's the context of this book. I, I want to go to Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, and then we're going to get over to the last chapter of your Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, 
and particularly thinking about and framing it this way, that this is the last few things that God decides to speak as he's preparing for Christ, preparing for Christmas, and then he doesn't speak for 400 years. And this is how the Old Testament closes out. Matthew, uh, sorry, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. If you're there, say ready. Malachi says this, Behold, I send, this is God speaking, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. It's like God is saying, I'm, I'm coming, I'm, I'm, I'm going to come, but before I do, I'm going to send a very special messenger. Uh, some would call it a forerunner or someone who's going to come and prepare the way for Christmas, prepare the way for the Messiah to enter into the world. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. That's talking about the incarnation. If you're seeking God, he's like, he's going to come not just in spirit to the temple, but in flesh. He's going to come as a human being, and Jesus Christ will be God in flesh, and he's going to come walk into the temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. This is a prophecy that not only is Christmas coming, not only is God going to Come in the flesh, be Emmanuel, God with us. But there's a very special, unique prophecy that before that happens, there's going to be a messenger or a forerunner who shows up first to prepare the way for Jesus, uh, to prepare the way for the Messiah. Now, get get over to to the next chapter there, the last chapter in your Old Testament. Malachi chapter 4, verse 1 says this. It says, Behold, the day is coming. Most of the time, you, you probably know this, but uh, for those of you who might be new to the Bible, most of the time when the Bible talks about the day, it is talking about judgment day. It's talking about the second coming when Jesus comes back to judge the living and the dead where everyone will be divided. Uh, it, it's very binary into one of two places. There is no neutral. There is no third. There is, there is two options. And this is depicted in many, many ways, in many places, Old and New Testament, heaven and hell, sheep and goats, uh, wheat and chaff, good and evil, saved and unsaved, Christian, non-Christian, a lot of ways that it's described. But that's what he's talking about. So uh, he says, behold, that day, the day, the day when everyone, including you, okay, you need to know this that the Bible is really clear that every one of us is going to stand in the single file line where we don't get to uh, play to the, uh, to the morality of, or the faith of our parents or our friends or our spouses or our children, but one-on-one before the God who created you will be held accountable on that day. Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. When all the arrogant, and then it talks about the two different ways that day will play out. Uh, when all of the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble, the day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. That's, that's bad news for some. And then he turns his attention, verse 2. But for you who fear my name... The sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And can't we agree that those are two very different outcomes on the same day? He keeps going. 
you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. And then here it is again, last two sentences of the Old Testament. There's a warning that judgment day is coming. But before that, the Messiah will come. Before that, there's a messenger. Remember, or verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he, this, this forerunner, this messenger, that's chapter 3, verse 1, this is chapter 4, verse 5, that that messenger will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And then you have 400 years of silence. I wanted to look at this uh, chapter for a few reasons. Number one, I think it's an interesting prophecy about uh, this, this messenger, this forerunner that will come and prepare God's people. Uh, and we're going to look at the fulfillment of that in the New Testament. Uh, but I also think it's just interesting as we learn about God's timing that he made a promise and then he was silent for 400 years. And I'm sure there was a lot of temptation for people to think that God forgot, that he was impotent, that he couldn't do what he promised. I'm sure for people uh, that were God's people that believed his words and promises, I'm sure that they were mocked and ridiculed and made fun of for believing that God was going to do what he said he was going to do, much like you are. If you're a believer, you're going to be mocked. People are going to think you're crazy for believing that Jesus is going to come back again. So I think there's some things that we can learn about timing. Uh, But but I want to just look at the prophecy of this messenger and, and four different things I want to, uh, to focus our time on. Number one is the messenger. Number two is the messenger's timing. Number three is the messenger's job. And number four is that messenger's message. So that's where we're going in the short time that we have this morning. Number one, just the messenger. Th- this is one of the unique times that a prophet was actually prophesied about. That there was a prophecy about this special, very, very special prophet that was going to come and was going to prepare the way for Christmas, prepare the way for God's people to receive Jesus into the world. Uh, what a special job that would be to be the one that's sent to, to prepare the way for the coming Christ. Uh, and, and, and he says that this prophet is going to be like the prophet Elijah. Okay, everybody say Elijah. Uh, in the Bible, most of the time, th- there's a lot of prophets. There, there's uh, what we call major prophets, and then there's minor prophets, uh, prophets that write long books spanning over a long time, and minor prophets that write shorter books about specific things, but a lot of different prophets. And most of the time, Moses is kind of known as the prophet of deliverance, um, that he gets to speak for God when it's time to deliver people out of slavery. And so he's, he's kind of the go-to uh, theme, thematic prophet for deliverance, but Elijah is the one who, his job is to preach and to to prophesy and to call people to repentance. So that's what he means when he says this prophet is going to come in the spirit of Elijah, that this unique calling of this forerunner is supposed to show up and call people to repentance. That's what it means that he's after uh, the spirit of Elijah, and then you have 400 years, okay, where there's no prophets showing up saying, God spoke to me, thus saith the Lord. There's no angels visiting, giving, uh, heralding information and announcements. It's just quiet. And, and we have to be be really careful not to, and this is not just 
historically in the Bible, but in your life as well, uh, to mistake silence with inactivity. Um, because just just because God was not necessarily speaking audibly does not mean he was not very actively and purposefully working. Um, because when you see Jesus come on the scene, you find out that God had been at play all along. He, he's never inactive, but sometimes he remains silent. So you have four centuries of silence, and then you get these strange stirrings uh, where, where angels begin to visit earth and talk to Joseph and speak to Mary and speak to uh, some people that we're about to read about and uh, some miracles even begin to take place and just kind of this stirring that something big is coming, uh, something special is happening, God's beginning to speak audibly again. So Luke chapter 1 verse 5, in the days of Herod, so this is fast forward, New Testament, in the days of Herod, king of Judah, Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. Everybody say Zechariah. Of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Great name, beautiful name. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Uh, just a little parenthetical free sermonette here. This is not uh, my goal for this morning, but this is such an interesting uh, comment um, because wrapped up in the Christmas story, you have Joseph and Mary that were both uh, relatively young. Mary was probably very young, could have even been 13 or 14 years old, and she was an unbelievably godly young woman, and God used her in an unbelievable way. And you see that God sometimes uses really young people. Uh, but then you see this whole other side where you've got these people that are uh, advanced in years. Uh, that means old. And they were barren. They were um, infertile. They couldn't have children. They had obviously wanted children. And, uh, and there were so many things that Zechariah uh, could have been doing. Um, as he was old, he could have been retired and just kind of hanging out on the beach, moved to the Mediterranean and just kind of sipping margaritas and uh, just getting through his retirement. But you find him advanced and you're still loving God, still serving God, still being faithful. And God uses them. He uses old people and young people. He can use anyone. Amen. Like if you're young, you're just never too young. In fact, Paul tells Timothy, don't, don't let people look down on you because you're young. Instead, set an example in speech, life, love, faith, and purity. If you're young in the room, praise God. God can use young people. He's used young people all throughout the centuries. If you're old, let me encourage you. And, and it is fun, okay? Th this is fun for me to be able to say this now. Uh, because for a long time, when we were a, a very young church plant, I was the oldest one, okay? Uh, and, you know, it was just, it's been such an... Uh, in, enjoyment and encouragement to see God grow us in all sorts of different ages. So uh, to those of you who would self-identify as advanced in years, let me encourage you uh, not to coast. As your retirement years come, uh, please do not use them as time to just kind of unplug from the mission of God. Be like Zechariah and, uh, and be faithful to the end. Be like Elizabeth and be faithful even in advanced in years. Small sermonette done. Back to the text. Verse 8. Now, while he, Zechariah, old man, while he was serving as priest before God, 
when his division was on duty, so he was a priest, and priests were separated kind of into uh, divisions and time slots, so it was time for his uh, group to be on call, so to speak. Uh, According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple. So here's the picture. He was a priest, so his job was to attend to the temple, and they would go in shifts, so it was time for his whole group to show up for a shift, and they would cast lots and find out who from their group that day would be the one to go in and light the incense, and he drew, he, he drew the straw. Uh, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord. So he goes into the temple to light the incense. All of a sudden, there's an angel there. And and if you know much about angels, you know they are not as our culture often depicts them, you know, light and fluffy, wearing a diaper, have a suction cup, bow and arrow, just kind of really fun and friendly. They are terrifying, awe-inspiring, fearful beings. And so this angel shows up, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And what you find out is that he had been praying potentially decades for God to give them a child. Because they wanted a kid, they didn't have a kid. I'm sure all their friends throughout the years were getting pregnant and having babies, and they had prayed and prayed and prayed. And sometimes God answers that prayer by not giving a child and reminding people that he is sufficient. And sometimes he answers the prayer with a child, and this is what he does in this instance. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, because he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn. Okay, if you're if you're a note taker, I, I would encourage you to to circle that or to make a note. That is an unbelievably important and operative word for understanding the ministry of this forerunner that we call John the Baptist. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Obviously, Luke sees John the Baptist as the fulfillment of Malachi 3 and 4, that this baby that's going to be born to Zechariah and Elizabeth is going to be the one that is going to show up and prepare God's people for the coming Messiah, for the coming Christmas. That's the messenger. That's what we know uh, thus far about uh, what was prophesied about this messenger and then his uh, predicted birth that the angel shows up. So let's look, number two, at the messenger's timing. Uh, and before we look at the, the, like the timing of John the Baptist and what he's supposed to do, uh, I, I want to look at, the ti- at God's timing in the messenger. Okay? Why, w- why is it that God promised this messenger would come and then he waited 400 years? Uh, I think it's important to think about uh, and to look at God's timing in all of this. Uh, because, again, I'm sure that uh, for those faithful uh, Jewish people that believed God, trusted the scriptures, had read Malachi, they, they, they had been saying for now 400 years that God's coming. The Messiah's coming. Before he shows up, there's going to be a messenger that comes to prepare the way. And at some point, people are like, uh, 
it's been a while. It's been 400 years. I don't know. Maybe God forgot. Maybe your book is not as reliable as you think. What was going on in the 400 years of silence? Uh, I would say it's uh, very much like what has taken place at my house. Um, So my, my wife is, she's the fun one in the bunch. She loves to celebrate. She loves to decorate. She loves Christmas, um, but she kind of has that hard, fast rule about Thanksgiving. Uh, and so, like, she, uh, Thanksgiving dinner, we have the whole family together, and she's eating as fast as she can so she can put her fork down, go put her red and green pajamas on, start the Christmas music, decorate the tree, right? She's got a hard, fast line, and she starts preparing. And in that moment, after Thanksgiving dinner, everybody knows Hannah is in Christmas mode, and this place is about to get fun and festive. Listen, everyone needs a Hannah in their life. She is amazing. She keeps our place fun. But, like, there has been a lot of things in her mind and in her Amazon shopping cart and all these things kind of uh, under the surface preparing for this moment. She's been thinking. She's been planning. She's been cooking. She's been buying. Uh, and, like, she has been formulating and planning all these things behind the scenes Silently, and then it gets to erupt into a visual manifestation of glitter everywhere. Uh, If you need some glitter in your life, come over. We will gladly show you some. Behind the scenes, for 400 years, God had been working. And I want you to consider just how precise and perfect God's timing always is. Even when he is silent, he is absolutely never inactive, and he is never late. Some of you need to know that. You've been praying. You've been waiting. You need to know that God is never late. He's always right on time. He was planning for Christmas. I mean, he was planning for Jesus to be born and planning for the gospel message to be able to uh, spread very quickly, like wildfire, across planet Earth. So while he was silent, he was incredibly busy and active. He was working in political systems. He was working in governments. He was working in families and individual people's hearts. And this is what God was orchestrating as as people were waiting. Uh, We call it the, the Pax Romana, the Pax Romana. That means the Roman peace for centuries. Uh, really, when when Malachi makes this prophecy that the forerunner would come, there was uh, pretty much global warfare. Uh, just centuries and centuries of war until the Romans come into power and they kind of create this almost global peace uh, that had been very unprecedented where when Jesus finally comes into the world, there was a, a peace that was um, kind of wrapping the globe that would make the spread of the gospel very possible. Uh, Israel, during uh, during Roman rule, uh, they were ruled by another foreign government, the Romans, uh, and they uh, were able to enjoy many blessings being under them. Uh, The Romans had built a road system that had never existed before, so travel was easy. I think oftentimes we can take uh, travel for granted that if we want to go somewhere, it's unbelievably easy. We get in a car and there's a road that leads there. That was not the case until Rome shows up and builds a road system that Paul and Peter and all the apostles would use to spread the gospel. Um, There was really one common language that most of the known world used. Uh, It was the language of trade. It was the language of commerce. It was the language of Greek, which ironically, not ironically, providence of God, the New Testament was written in a language that almost all of the world could have access to, could understand at that time, uh, that the world was fairly organized, that there was a Roman emperor that had the power to issue the decree. You're going to hear about it during the Christmas season. He says he issued a decree that what? All of the world should be taxed. 
like even even the reality that there was the, the, this 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 political unity um i just found this out this week but right around the time of jesus is when uh, the codex or codices or what we know of as books were developed um, that for a long time it was just scrolls that were very frail hard to travel easy to lose easy to break and right around the time of jesus this idea of bound books that could uh, contain information and be safe and transferred and dispersed all of these things were taking place so that in galatians 4 paul phrased it this way when the Full, y'all remember this? When the fullness of time had come. God had been working in so many different areas for the most perfect moment in history for Jesus to be born and all the factors to be perfect so that the spread of the gospel could uh, spread all over the Roman Empire very quickly. God was silent. He was not inactive. He's never late. That's a small note about God's timing. Now the messenger's timing. It says that he's going to come before the Christ, before Jesus, and he's born. And then six months later, Jesus is born. It's, it's unbelievable God's timing. And, and it also says that before the great and awesome day of the Lord. So this messenger is going to come before judgment day, but before that, before he's going to come before Jesus, before Christ enters the world. Number three, let's look at the messenger's job. What is this man supposed to do? What is this messenger, this this pre-runner supposed to do? I, I, I just, I, I kept sitting and staring and focusing on and ruminating over that word turn because it shows up a few times. That was his job. The, the, and Jesus would call John the Baptist at one point in his ministry the most, um, the, the, the best man that had ever lived. He says, out of men that have been born of a woman, no one is greater than John the Baptist. So Jesus would say John is the greatest man besides Jesus that has ever lived. And he had such a unique job to prepare the world for Christmas. And the focus of his ministry seemed to be around this word and this idea of turning. That was his job. And and the word turn implies that somebody is facing the wrong way, right? It, It implies that humanity is facing the wrong way, that our hearts are facing the wrong way, that we don't love God, that we don't honor God, that we don't obey God, that we're all facing this way. And this messenger's job is to invite the world to turn and to prepare for Jesus. Luke chapter 1 verse 16, I'll read it again. It says, he will turn many Israelites to God. And how many parents in the room, probably all of us, if God were to speak, like send an angel to you and say, boy, I'm excited to tell you about this, very specifically about your kid. Your kid's going to be responsible for a lot of people turning to God. What, what an unbelievable promise that would be, to turn. Jo- John's going to turn many Israelites to God, but then the prophecy in Malachi 4, 6, it says, he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. That is interesting. I I don't have time, I I didn't have time this week because of all the turkey chemical that I had to, to really get to the bottom of this and don't have time this morning, but there's something so interesting about the way Malachi talked about the ministry of John the Baptist. Not just that, as Luke put it, he's going to turn people back to God, 
but he is going to turn the hearts of not parents, what does he say? Fathers. His ministry is not just spiritual that he's going to help people know who God is and turn to him, but he's going to, even the gospel has implications to mend and fix families and societies by turning the hearts of fathers back to their kids and kids back to their fathers. I wish I had more time because I think this is a very, very deep well. Most of the ills in not just our society, but in any society on the history of the planet are are expounded through broken men. That men have a unique capacity, and I believe men and women are equally sinful. Right? I don't believe that one is more virtuous than the other, but there is such a unique way that the brokenness of men breaks marriages and families and churches and societies, and such an interesting thing that God would say, this messenger is going to turn the hearts of fathers back to their kids and kids not in rebellion but back towards love and their fathers and like the gospel turns people back to God but in doing so it fixes society's ills and it fixes families and it fixes marriages and we'll save the rest of that for another day but what's the 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 the, the job of the messenger it's to turn it's to turn people's hearts that are facing the wrong way and how does he do that this is number four what is the messenger's message What did he preach? How did he turn people's hearts to God? How did he fix and put together the hearts of men and fathers and kids and marriages and wives and daughters? Like, how did he turn people? And and this is what he preached. Luke chapter 3. I'll read this fairly quickly. Luke chapter 3, verse 2 and 4. You can follow along here on the screen. This is how John did his ministry, did his job of turning. This is what he preached. The word of God, and this is New Testament after it had been prophesied that John would be born. Now he's a grown man, and this is where we pick up. The word of God came to John. That's John the Baptist, the one prophesied about in Malachi. The son of Zechariah in the wilderness. He was hanging out in the wilderness. Who knows what he was doing? Probably some type of fasting, praying, seeking God. God shows up there. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance For the forgiveness of sins. Everybody say repentance. That was what Elijah the prophet was known for. That's what John had been set aside for. That was his message. He shows up preaching repentance. It says very specifically, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it's written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, even Isaiah, not just Malachi, Isaiah prophesies about John the Baptist as well. He says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. I'll skip down to verse 15 for the sake of time. As the people were in expectation, these people that were listening to John preach, all were questioning in their hearts concerning John. He was such a strong, powerful, profound, effective preacher. People thought he was Jesus. People thought he was the Christ, the Messiah. They're questioning in their hearts whether John, could he be the Christ? John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water. But he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Obviously speaking of Jesus. He, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand 
I doubt many of you have used a winnowing fork this week. Um, that was somewhat of a, of a pitchfork. It was a tool that someone would use to go into the threshing floor and to throw up uh, the wheat and chaff that were mixed together so that you could separate the wheat and the chaff, the good from the bad. That he, this is John saying, you need to repent because Jesus is coming. Jesus is showing up. Judgment day is coming. He's going to separate and you need to be ready. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. That's the Christians, but the chaff, non-Christians, he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he, John the Baptist, preached good news to the people. What was the messenger's message? Very simply, turn. Repentance. Okay, in our culture, sadly, a lot of preachers, a lot of churches um, will shy away from the message of repentance, the message of a need for all of us to turn. Like even, even in our city, in our state, there's so many churches that you can go for months and months and never hear the call to repent. And if John the Baptist had preached sermons that a lot of churches and pastors preach, he never would have been beheaded. If Jesus would have preached messages that a lot of churches preach, he never would have been crucified. At the heart of the message of the gospel in Christmas is this command and invitation for people to turn. That there is this inherent understanding that we were born headed in the wrong direction. Our hearts not inclined towards God, not obeying God, not loving God. And this messenger shows up to prepare the world for Christmas. And his message was not fix yourself it was not do better. It was not work your way up to God. The message of Christmas is not the message of every other religion known to man. Every other religion is designed to get us to work our way toward God or to find our way towards him. The message of Christmas is that God has worked his way towards us. We simply need to turn. And those that are most in danger of not hearing the message are moral people. I'm going to tease this out for one second and I'm done. If you look honestly at the ministry of Jesus, the people that gave him the most problems were the people that had everything put together, that were fairly moral, that weren't felons, they hadn't committed all these horrible crimes, and they could not fathom that they might be the ones that also needed to repent. They would, the religious people of the day would give Jesus the most difficulty because he never could, they, they, they never could believe that he was actually talking to them, right? And, and that's, that's many of us probably. We've grown up, you know, just fairly, fairly clean lives, maybe not a whole lot of horrible sins. And I want to remind you that the message for every human being is the same message, to repent and to turn. And what an unbelievable gift from God that we don't have to earn anything. We don't have to work. The simple beauty of this message that John preached was an invitation to turn. And God meets you where you're at with grace and forgiveness of sin and mercy. The only thing we do, we don't fix, we don't change, we don't move. We simply turn, trust in Jesus. The message to turn, I, I, I hope that you spend some time this week thinking about that, not just on a theological level, but on your heart level. Has there ever been a time where you know that like, the Holy Spirit has convinced you that Jesus is God in the flesh, come to rescue and save you, and you need to turn to him? Turn away from sin, turn away from self, turn away from whatever might be your 
functional idol towards Jesus to trust in him. That's what John the Baptist came to do. He came in the wilderness preaching repentance, preparing the way for Jesus. Jesus shows up. People were prepared. Many of them trusted in Christ. Let me invite you to think through. I would love for you to to think through, like, truly, have you turned to Christ? And if you haven't, the day is coming when it will be too late. The day of judgment is coming when Jesus himself will separate everyone based on what you have done with Christ. I invite you to bow your head, close your eyes. Let's pray together. God, I'm so grateful that you stand outside of time, that you know everything that you not only predict, but you control and you reign sovereignly over the future. God, so many of us, we spend so much time thinking and fretting about what's to come and what might happen and not happen, and I pray that you might allow us to rest in your sovereignty, to be reminded that you are the knower of all things, that your word can be trusted, and God, I I just... I think someone in this room needs to remember that you are never late, that you're always perfectly on time. God, I pray that you would give us true, soft hearts of repentance. God, for for someone in this room that needs to repent and turn to you for the very first time, maybe they've been trying to fix their problems and get out of their situations and change their habits and deal with their addictions, and God, I just pray that you would invite them to simply turn to you and that you might meet them where they're at, give them a new heart and begin to change everything in their life from the inside out. God, would you call someone to become a Christian today through the message of your gospel? God, we love you. We're so thankful that you sent Jesus to die in our place for our sins and to rescue us and to bring us into the family of God. We love you. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.